Tembo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, welcome back to the show. We're going to take you around until 6 o'clock. Are you ready for the weekend? Big weekend in the Burns family is Jake Burns, Dave's uh, firstborn son. Oh, he's only born son. He's got a daughter, too. Getting married tomorrow. Married. I got invited to the wedding, so I'll be there. You having the steak or chicken? I don't know what the options are. That's what they usually are, right? Steak or chicken? You're not doing veggie, are you? Oh, no. I hate being that guy. If there's fish. Okay. Like I, you know, I'm Italian. We like we like fish, especially anything that crawls on the bottom of the ocean. You gonna make a big speech? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not like get up in know. front of everybody. I don't know him that well. I've known the kid since he was. Yeah, I've heard a lot of stories about a wee him. lad. I have. I started doing this show, so he's 25. I've been doing the show with Bernsey since he was 13 years old. Wow, that's with Bernsey. Wow. So he's 25. I actually started doing this show when he wasn't even born. When I started doing the show here in Arizona, the afternoon drive show, he wasn't even born. It's pretty crazy to think about. That's crazy. Ain't that something? Ain't that something? Ain't that something? Now he's getting married. He wasn't even born when I started the show. And now he's 25 and he's getting married. Crazy. All right. The head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, Jonathan Gannon, was on with Bickley and Murata. Newsmakers Week. Want to congratulate those boys for an excellent job. They did uh, terrific interviews all week long. Uh, Gannon talked about a lot of different topics. He did speak about what he was looking for in an offensive coordinator. Here's what he had to say. You know, what I was looking for in the offensive coordinator position was really a guy that's been in multiple schemes. That was one of the first things that I thought about, hey, you know, how do I want to how do I want the offense to look as the head coach? And really that was for this is, you know, if you've only been in one scheme your whole life, that's what you know and that's okay. A lot of people do a really good job and are highly successful with their one scheme and how they do things, but with when you figure out with when you have one scheme, you have to fit those exact pieces in perfectly. Yeah. So scheme, not a guy that just knows one scheme, a guy that's been you know, in multiple schemes. I think the ability to change on the fly, the ability to adapt to your player strengths and not have the players adapt to your strength. I think that's kind of in a nutshell what he's talking about. Look, we want to be able to take advantage. You know, during different times we might have a great offensive line and, you know, need to really rely on a power running game or our, we might have some injuries to the offensive line and need to throw the ball a lot more to our wide receivers or we might have wide receivers that are out, we may need to dump the passes. So I think he's been Basically saying throughout the course of a season, things change. You know, you may go in with this plan that, hey, we want to be a balanced offensive attack. That's our goal. We want to be balanced. We want to keep teams, you know, uh, loyal. We want to keep teams guessing what we're going to do. Keep them on their toes. Balanced offense. But then your running back goes down. Or your offensive key offensive lineman goes there. You may change. It may change. Or your star receiver on, gets suspended for the first right, third of the season. Right, and now you don't want. Now you want to rely more on the running game. You know, you may be a team that gets ahead. You know, and you, and at that point you're like, okay, we want to run the ball. We want to take time off the clock. We want to make sure we don't turn it over. So I think that's what he was really saying. Like the offense will be dictated based on the circumstances that's around us. I think another part of it for me in speaking about versatility with the offense is seeing Kyler under center a little bit because the one thing that I noticed while watching the Super Bowl and watching the Eagles is if they needed a yard, they were going to get four. The the quarterback's actually kind of big and strong, too. Like, the quarterback's a lot stronger than Kyler. Kyler's not doing those quarterback sneaks. Listen, I get it. 
But every now and then, you're going to need to put the guy under center. Because sure. I haven't seen that sure. at all yeah, under, kill, under Cliff Kingsbury. Play action. They barely ran it. He was 90-something percent in the gun. And, you know, Kyler's a smaller quarterback, so he needs to be able to get that ball and observe. And being having that distance between him and the line allows him to see over the line. I just want them to have it in their back pocket. They've got it. You know, you got to be able to throw off of it, too. There's totally. windows. There's windows. Like Play you, action. You create windows to throw the football. I mean, it's a timing thing. So you can keep him under center. Now, smaller guy with shorter legs, his drop back may, may not be one, two, three, and throw it. It may be more like one, two, three, four, and throw it. But there are windows that are created that you create in your offensive line's game plan. So there are going to be windows for him to throw the ball through, but depending on where you want to do it. Um, but I agree. I mean, I think that they have to do that. That's the next evolution in Kyler's game. There was no risk. Them, there was no timing last year. You just snap the ball to Kyler and shotgun, let him kind of run around and, and figure it out. Well, like, I, like I've always said, if the first wide receiver that he was looking at was open, Kyler was great and he was dynamic. If that guy totally. wasn't open, Kyler was improvising and just running and trying to figure things out on his own as it, as it went along. All right, Gannon had uh, some other interesting things to say. You got the cut there because I just lost my screen. Uh, yeah, he talked a little bit about a player that you and I have been questioning. What is the role going forward and the plan for Isaiah Simmons? There'll be a plan for every one of our players, you know, and part of that adaptability, that, that it's kind of a loaded word, and mm-hmm. I understand that, but how it relates to players is this. We need to get on the grass and get in the classroom and see what guys can handle and see what they can do physically as it relates to how we're going to structure the offense, defense, and special teams. But then you really just want to find spots for guys to where they can, you know, really be, really um, thrive in the role that they're in. So whatever role we put our guys in, whatever positions or whatever we're asking them to do offense, defense, special teams wise, we want those guys to be able to excel in those roles. It's a guy that plays eight different positions, and that's the problem with Isaiah. It's like, you know, you like him because he's that Swiss Army knife, and he can play. He lined up at eight different positions, you know, from linebacker to edge rusher to outside linebacker to slot cornerback. The question really with Isaiah is, is there one spot for him, or does he really have to be a guy that you move all over the field? Like, And that's what Gannon's got to figure out. I mean, I think Isaiah Simmons is a good football player, um, but I, I – I've always felt like I think they're better off if they could find one area that I'd rather be great at one thing than just good at seven different things. So I think if they could find a spot that he's great at, play him there most of the time. Because if you break down the amount of snaps that he took at different positions, it's like, okay, where does he play? What What is he? If he was a free agent, what does he tell another team his position is? Yeah, it's a good question. If he was, if he was what, eligible for a franchise tag, what positions are you going to say he is? Like, so that's the thing. I think you kind of got to look at at that and try to figure out what, where, where is he best suited to play. What you really don't want to see happen is the Hassan Reddick situation, where a guy comes in, he's got all the talent in the world, you know that, and you think you can mold him into X, Y, or Z. They tried to create a middle linebacker out of Hassan Reddick. It didn't really stick. They eventually put him where he needed to be and put him where he was best as a pass rusher. Had some success, but by then it was too late. Too late. late. They didn't pick he up the option. He had reached free yeah. agency. Somebody else went and picked him up. He goes elsewhere and has all the success he could have asked for. Well, they didn't the believe that they could put too much of a load on his plate as far as learning. And that's one of the things. Well, that's that a they, weird way to do it. Put him in a new position? 
Are you talking about Hassan Reddick? Yeah, because he was not a middle linebacker. No, he wasn't a middle linebacker. They should have just let him let him rush the passer. That's, that's what, what he was. Should have happened from day one. That's what he was good at. But I think the reason why he really didn't develop as a middle linebacker, they they just felt like they didn't want to put too much on his plate at one time, and they messed up. Look, they messed up. I mean, he he's ended up being a heck of a football player, and they they let him go, and they lost him, and they wish they would have had him because if they had a young guy like Hassan Reddick right now in his prime, being able get all those sacks, they'd be in a really good spot. Uh, but now they might have to draft a guy. You might not have to draft a, a Will Anderson if you had Hassan Reddick right now. How much does that exact conversation you and I just had about Hassan Reddick, how much of that weighs on Michael Bidwell when evaluating Vance Joseph for the possible head coach position? How much of that do you put on Vance? Yeah, I think a lot. Hey, you know what? We had a first-round pick that mm-hmm. uh, he didn't work out, and we tried him a couple different ways. We had another first-round pick in Zayvon Collins. We still like, but we're not so sure we've uh, maximized was, his abilities yet. That was the disconnect Simmons, between that was the disconnect between the front office and the coaching staff. Look, you you know you remember Steve Kime came out and said Zayvon Collins is a starter day one. And Vance Joseph said, no, he's not. <laughs> Jordan Hicks is my starter. And they, there were things that they didn't like about Jordan Hicks. Like, he's a smart football player, but he couldn't cover anybody. His coverage skills were terrible. He was too slow. So anytime somebody, he got in coverage, he was, he was toast. So they didn't like that. But he was a good player. He can go sideline to sideline. He was a smart player. He knew how to set up the defense. He could play the run. But he was limited. He was, he was limited because of his coverage ability. So they drafted David Collins. And this guy's a deer. He can go sideline to sideline. And he's got to be a starter day one. Day one, he's got to be a starter. He wasn't a starter day one. So what the front office wanted, the coaching staff didn't agree with. So that's probably a factor in you know why Vance didn't get the job, but I think Vance did a good job with what he had. The majority of the money was spent on that offense, was not spent on the defense. Alright, the Suns, they got a game tonight. No Kevin Durant, but Ish Wainwright. Yeah, Suns and Oklahoma City tonight. We'll get you set for that game. That's coming up next right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Uh, getting you ready for the weekend here on Arizona Sports. Check out our website if you're uh, if you've never checked out our website. What a great website we have! Story up right now. Sunshine Wing Ish Wainwright to two year deal. Gannon and the Cardinals. Kyler Murray right on schedule with the rehab. Robbie Anderson changes his name. Uh, Cardinals determined to find role for Isaiah. Dan Bickley's column. The Cardinals' new coaching staff is impossibly green by NFL standards. Kevin Durant's defensive ability opens up new possibilities for the Suns. Ray Anderson on ASU. has a lot of great stuff on our website. ArizonaSports.com. Uh, mark it and uh, take a look at it every single day. We've always got the latest sports for you right there. We're always churning out great stuff. We've got a great web department, so make sure you check that out. Suns and Oklahoma City tonight. Get a chance to see an old friend in Dario Saric. Hello, Dave. Um, Dario Saric, one of Dave's favorite players. So Dario in town tonight. No Kevin Durant. Ish Wainwright is signed to that two-year two-year deal now. So he's been converted. So you don't have to worry about that anymore. Were you surprised that happened? I don't. I don't. No, not really. Not. I mean, not not really. I don't. I don't think that the buyout market is what other people think it is. I think it's very overrated. I think the buyout market is good. Name one player that was a key player on a championship team that came from the buyout market. There, are, there aren't any. 
Can't think of one. I mean, there aren't any. Well, there just but, aren't any. I say this all the time on our weekend show. Uh, there is always a reason a player is available. A guy gets Yeah, that's recut, what I said. You probably released. stole that from me. Oh, yeah, probably. Definitely. <laughs> but it's true. No matter what sport you're talking about, if it's baseball, oh, we just signed the guy. Well, he got DFA'd by the Pirates. There's a reason that he's mm-hmm. available. Or, you know, you talk about it in basketball. Oh, he got bought out. Yeah, John Wall was a good player 10 years ago, but he ain't much now. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. The buyout market is a little bit overrated. It's very overrated. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's fool's gold in some way. There's a reason these teams are getting off of these players. And so if you go look at the history of the buyout market, it's, you know, you're not getting a lot of guys that come in and, you know, are able to help your team. I mean, you like, you may, you may like their name and stuff. And I mean, Terrence Ross is what he is. Now, a lot of times a guy gets to a new team and he wants to show himself off and he plays really well, but eventually they always revert back to what they really are. And that's the player that the other team didn't want anymore. Um, and that's why when you look at certain players that, especially guys that are on, uh, he, Kevin Love. Like, Kevin Love was on a contending team in Cleveland. They didn't want him. They bought him out. Like, you really think he's going to help Miami? I mean, I don't. I mean, Cleveland didn't even want him. I think he, was getting, have a... he was getting beat out by Wade and Osman. And, I mean, there were players that, that were, you know, younger players that were just better than him that were beating him out. I think he'll have a bigger role in Miami than in Cleveland. That doesn't mean that it'll be a super significant role. He'll be a top four player for them. Gonna, I mean, it's not, not that. He's not going to help him. It's not going to help them. Bio market, no, the bio market again. I mean, the bio market's usually not anything to write home about. I'm not a fan of it. Uh, I've been told he's starting tonight, by the way. Not that that means it's going to be huge. Who's that? Kevin Love. Kevin Love? Is that game on now? What time? Was, who are they playing tonight? I'm trying to look at that right now. Miami? Yesterday, NBA you talked. Uh, they're playing the Bucks. Yesterday, you talked to Terrence Ross, correct? Yes, that game is not started. Yeah, Heat Bucks is not started yet. You talked to Terrence Ross yesterday, right? Uh huh. Would you have told him to his face that you're not playing a big role for the Suns going forward? You see my point? Like it's hard. I, I tend to I mean, agree with you I mean, that the market the is on my first. My interview isn't to, to get him on the show and no, tell him no, that no, no, he's no. going to play a big role. I'm I don't not saying you would, yeah. but. If that's the point that we're making, that oh, the buyout market, it, it, you're not going to get a good role player out of that. I, I disagree. I think you can get a good role player out of it. It's not going to be a top can, four or five player on your but team. But that's all you're getting is a role player. My point is you're not going to get anybody that's going to make a difference in you winning the championship or not. That guy doesn't exist. That, that guy's not there. None of these guys that are being bought out are going to come help a team win a championship. Russell Westbrook's not all of a sudden going to lead the Clippers to a championship. That's not going to happen. Terrence Ross isn't going to be the best player for the Suns in three games in the NBA Finals. That's not going to happen. Happen. You know, all the players that get bought out and go to these other teams, I mean, you know, you're just looking for a little depth. You're looking for a player you may think is a little bit better than a guy you had. And, uh, and a lot of them are just name guys. But in the end, I don't like, really, you know, I don't really think that these guys can help. Let, let's get to the game tonight because the Suns taken on Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City played last night. They lost in overtime to Laurie Markinen and the Jazz. Uh, hard-fought game. I don't know if we've gotten any word on Shea Gilgis Alexander yet and whether he's going to play or not. I have not. Not sure, that we, not sure that we did, but I know he was questionable for that game. This is an Oklahoma City team that is really, really close to the playoffs. Like, really close. So they're a half game out of it. And so they're trying to win. These games are so important to them. They're super young. T- Matter of fact, one of the craziest stories I read in Oklahoma City, Darius Arch is like the oldest guy in that team. He's like 28 years old. He's the oldest. They're just so young. Look at that roster. Shea Gilgis, Alexander, and Josh Giddy. 
and Isaiah Joe and Jalen Williams and Jalen Williams and the Pukevsky guy. Like they're just a very, very young team. And they've got a dynamic player in Shea Gilgis Alexander. He's been sensational for them. I've, I've said it before. That's a player the Suns targeted in the draft the year they got Mikhail Bridges. Uh, they pivoted to Mikhail after they weren't able to get Shea. Now, the reason they, we didn't get Shea is they were reluctant to put the Miami unprotected pick in there for Shea, but they did put it in for Mikhail after they couldn't get Shea. So they almost had Shea Gilgis Alexander here. But this is an Oklahoma City team, half game out of a playoff spot. They've got an easy schedule down the stretch. Their schedule's pretty easy. And it's a team that a lot of people felt was going to be tanking, and they're not. They're trying to win basketball games, and they're trying to make it into the playoffs. Yeah, I remember there was a time where Steven Adams was that old man on the team. And I think he was like yes. 28 at the time, and he was the oldest guy on the team. That's A lot of that has to do with the way that Oklahoma City went with trading all their players for picks. Uh, after the whole Chris Paul experiment where he played one season, one really good season for Chris Paul, by the way, yeah. with the Thunder, and he Paul turned George. them into a contender when they didn't expect it. Then they kind of went south, and they tried to trade everything they had for picks. I think they had like 17 picks over like four seasons or something like that. And then you add a player like SGA is just a next-level player, and he's finally evolving into that 30-point-a-night kind of scorer, somebody who can elevate a team higher than they've been in four years. They got five first-round picks for Paul George. It's good. Five first-round picks. Pretty good. So they were at that position. You know, the Clippers were desperate to get Paul George to go play with Kawhi. Just desperate. So Oklahoma City got an unprotected first-round pick in 2022, 2024, 2026, 2021, and then 2023 this year protected first-round selection via the Heat. So they're going to get that pick. It'll be the Miami pick because Miami's not going to fall in the top seven. And they also got the option to swap picks in, in a couple of different years. So that was a great... That, that was what they were doing. I mean, obviously, they went for it. But now they've got all these picks and they're getting good young players. I mean, they got Chet Holmgren. They got they got Giddy. Um, Shea's been great for them. The Williams kid, Jalen, has been good. They got Lou Dort on that team, the former ASU player who's only 23 years old. So there's a lot of young players on the team. So they're building a very young roster. But again, like their goal isn't to tank and be the worst team in the league. They're trying to make the playoffs with that young roster because you want to build that. You want to try to have a team that can make the playoffs, have some excitement. Um, and so if they could do that, that would be a big stretch. And a lot of people like their their chances to make the playoffs just because the schedule is really in their favor. You got me uh, with the Paul George revisiting that trade. You got me looking back up at the uh, Chris Paul trade. If you'll remember, the Suns moved Kelly Oubre, Ricky Rubio, Ty Jerome, Jalen LeClue. Jalen LeClue, yeah, LeClue, whatever his name was. And a 2022 first-round pick. Just one. For Paul and Nader. But it was just one first-round pick. One pick and a handful of uh, not that great players. Kelly Oubre had a a significant role at a time when the team was not very good. Nope. Ubre, Ricky they, Rubio was Ubre, an okay moved on piece, from quickly. Ubre, they moved on from quickly. Yeah, they were just trying to get off of the Paul contract. And at that time, even when the Suns, you know, Paul was an older player with a big contract, 
and team, you know, they wanted to get off of that. They weren't going to win, um, so they were only able to get the one first round pick. But Paul George, five first round picks for Paul George because they thought he would go. With, they thought that would be the Batman to the Robin, the Robin to the Batman type thing. Him and Kawhi would form this super duo that would bring a championship to the Clippers. It hasn't happened. We'll see. Like I still think that they're a scary team in the playoffs this year. I think they're the four seed right now. Right now they're the four seed. Yeah, they play and the they Suns in the first good round at the deadline too. I mean, they could get better. Yeah, I, I like. I, I think Plumlee was a good addition for them. I think there's you know you get yourself a little bit of size right there. They think they added three players at the deadline. Eric Bones, Gordon, Bones Highland. I think they got Bones Highland, and was it Eric Gordon? And Eric Gordon. So some shooting there as well. Yeah, I mean that's that's they got depth now. They and then they got Westbrook. In the buyout market, they got Russell Westbrook. <sighs> Who's starting say, tonight, by the way? He's not coming off the bench. He's is he start. really starting for them? Yeah, he's starting for them tonight. I would not have done God, that. The, all the buyout guys starting. I'm telling you, the buyout market is fool's gold. It's not that good. Russell Westbrook starting. Kevin Love starting. Man, he's going to start Terrence Ross tonight? What does that say about the desperation level of certain contending teams in the NBA, though? I think what it says is that certain guys get promises to come play for you. Well, that's what you got to do to get some of them, yeah. I suppose. No, but that's what you, yeah. You get certain. Who is the, um, let me see, Ray, the Lakers got a, who was the big man they got last year? The Lakers? The Lakers. They got, mm, let me see who it was. Well, I mean, they just recently gave up Thomas Bryant. No, it was a buyout last year. There was a lot yeah. of teams that were looking for uh, for a center. It was, I can't remember who it was. But there was, uh, but there's always these, these, um, Promises that are made. There's always this, every year. There's always this promise that's made to these players that are in a buyout market. That's why. That's why they decide to go somewhere because, that, like, if they get a promise, okay, I'll go to you if I'm going to get a certain amount of time. If I know I'm going to get that time, I'll come play for you. If I'm not, then I'm not going to play for you. So that's what a lot of it comes down to. I think Terrence Ross. I think that's one of the reasons why he ended up with the Suns is because I think he got a, a pretty good amount of playing time promised to him. Yeah, which is a bit surprising because of how many wings that they have. We talked about Ish Wainwright getting a two-year contract, a mutual option for the second, or a team option for the second season. Today, he's going to get that last roster spot. Things could still evolve, could still change as the season progresses. If campaign misses more time, maybe there is a need to go out and get another ball handler, somebody who can be the backup point guard in, in the event that Chris Paul misses time, or if he falls apart the way he did in the playoffs last year, then you're going to need somebody to handle the balls. But for now, Ish Wainwright is the guy at the end of the bench, and I, I think that that was well-deserved. He certainly earned that contract again yeah. today. Yeah, he's listening. He works hard. He's a, pre, he's a pretty good player. I'll try to remember that player in a second. All right, we got some college basketball talk coming up. Casey Jacobson from FS1 and the Pac-12 Network, and a good buddy of ours is going to come, come talk Pac-12 hoops. U of A, ASU, UCLA, that's all next right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. And Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. I love talking college hoops with this next guest. Good buddy of ours, Casey Jacobson from FS1 and the Pac-12 Network. Love watching his stuff and obviously former Stanford standout. Played for the Phoenix Suns in the NBA. Casey joins on the program. Casey Burnsy's off today. His son's getting married tomorrow. So Steve Zinsmeister filling in. What's going on? 
Campbell, it's good to hear from you. Steve, good to meet you over the phone. Thanks for having me on. You guys know this is late February. March is around the corner. This is my favorite time of year. It's also, uh, I, I turned 42 years old in about three weeks' time as well. Wow. So, uh, yeah, getting it, it's busy in the Jacobson household right now. Yeah, how do the three girls doing? Uh, uh, they're doing great, Gamble. Thanks for asking. Ellie is now 16 years old. It's weird to say that out loud. I have a 16 year old daughter, but uh, she's six foot one. She plays volleyball. We'll see if uh, she's if she's going to be a Division one player. Wow! Uh, in, in the next few months, but well, we're having a good time. Everybody's happy and healthy. I got a daughter that's a doctor. Believe it or not, I have a daughter that's a doctor. How crazy is that? All right, let's let's talk some hoops. You know, you know, I love the U of A team. You know, I love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tabellis has had a tough stretch last couple of games, hasn't played very well. But when him and Balo are on and Crease and Rainey are hitting their shots, this team's very difficult to beat. And you know how hard it is for teams to win in McHale. Uh, but just give me your thoughts. Me and you talked a few weeks ago. I told you I'm a little bit worried about their depth. I don't really see much depth on this roster. Give me your thoughts on what you've seen out of U of A so far. I love U of A. They're one of the surprise teams for me. Uh, you know, they were a top 20 preseason team, so I'm not saying that that, that, um, that they're a huge surprise, just just a little bit. I, I thought that they would take a big step back, and they haven't. Um, addressing your uh, depth um, comment, Gambo, I would say that for me, depth is underrated in practice. It's overrated in the games. Most good college basketball teams, and when I mean good, like teams that could make the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, so like top 20 teams in the country, only have maybe, maybe seven good players. So I shouldn't worry about it. Yeah, you shouldn't worry about it at all. Like, like even just look at the like past national champions, whether it be Virginia, you know, North Carolina or Villanova. Those teams had six or seven guys, maybe, and they were they were just fine as long as you have like elite, good guys that can make buckets or multiple players that can take over a game. You're, you're just fine. So, um, but. Arizona's season has been, I mean, it's, it, there's three different seasons in college, right? There's the non-conference, the conference, and the postseason. Their non-conference was amazing. I mean, Arizona just five wins everybody. against good teams, including Tennessee, yeah. Indiana. They were five good wins for them. Yeah, and they won the Maui Invitational, which is one of the most noteworthy non-conference uh, tournaments that we have in college basketball. They play a unique brand. There are not a lot of college teams that play two centers. In fact, I can't really think of any that play two, uh, like, you know, real traditional, like a Julius Tabelz could be a center. He's versatile, but he could be a center on any other team in the country. Um, and so anybody who plays Arizona is dealing with a team that is unique in that right and the tempo that they play as well. These, these aren't plotting big guys. They race up and down the floor. Are they better um, suited now to beat a team? Say they get in a bracket with Houston. Like They ran into that athleticism yeah. last year, and that just knocked them out. They really didn't have an answer for a team that is just loaded with... A- U of A is really skilled. Even you know Pele coming off the bench and knocking down... I love what Cedric Henderson has given for them, too, with the size. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're better suited now to handle a team with that much athleticism? No. Uh, I thought last year, last year's team was significantly more talented. It, I think Christian Coloco was one of the best, or if not the best, defensive center in the country last year. Ben Matherin was the best shooting guard in America, I thought. I loved, absolutely loved everything about Arizona's team last year. The only thing I, I doubted 
and it did come to fruition a little bit, was they had no experience in real monster, big postseason games against a team like Houston. I thought it was a terrible matchup. Houston is tough, uh, though, guys, to play anybody, like just the style that Kelvin Sampson plays. They grind it down. They, they try and you know slow down the tempo. They're super physical. Uh, they have a good backcourt with Marcus Sasser, although he didn't play last year in the tournament. He was hurt. But um, guys like Jamal Shedd, their point guard, Tremont Mark. I mean, those guys had experience. They had been to the Final Four the year before. Nobody on Arizona's team had won an NCAA tournament game last year when they played. So this year's team – so let me bring it back to this year's team. I don't think this year's team is better than last year's team. However – I think everybody who played in that NCAA tournament game, both the TCU game and the Houston game, they're better for it. They're better, they're tougher, and they can at least just draw back on that experience and say, okay, we're not going to be surprised by a physical team like Houston if we see them again. That's what they have going for them. Talking to Casey Jacobson, FS1 and Pac-12 Network College Hoops Analyst here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Casey, I'll ask you about the uh, team here in town, ASU. Uh, there's an argument to be made, if you're looking at wins and losses only, that this is one of Bobby Hurley's best seasons at ASU. But the problem is, if the last three games of the season don't go their way and you don't make the tournament, then you're looking at four straight years without making the tournament. So I guess my question to you is, if that is the scenario that plays out, is ASU looking for a new coach at the end of this year? Um, I don't know. I don't like to live in these, like, if if they don't win all three of their games or if they don't perform well in the Pac-12 tournament. Um, he will certainly be on a hot seat, and I guess certainly anybody in his – not just a Bobby Hurley thing. This is a high major college basketball. If you missed four tournaments in a row and you've been up and down and all around, I think any coach, regardless of where you come from or what what program you coach, there will be some doubts. There will be some rumors. So I, I think Arizona State fans, and probably Bobby Hurley, knows that. However, here's the good news for Arizona State. They have three quad one away games. I mean, that's tough, but it's actually good. That's what you want. You, you don't want – for the last three games of your season for an Arizona State team who is definitely on the bubble, probably on the wrong side of the bubble, but they're there, that they're in the conversation, what you want to have is the most difficult schedule in America. That's what you want. You don't want to be playing Cal right now. You don't want to be playing Oregon State. You want to be playing Arizona, UCLA, and USC all on the road, which is what the Sun Devils are facing. In, in fact, I'd actually go out and say that uh, the Sun Devils' remaining schedule is probably the toughest in the country outside of anybody who's playing in the Big 12 Conference right now. Um, having to do that on the road is is a monster, and it's an all-hands-on-deck situation. What do I mean? I mean, D.J. Horn's got to be efficient from three. Frankie Collins got to keep his turnovers low and be a distributor. Des Cambridge, he's going to get out in passing lanes and get into steals, but sometimes he can go one for eight from three. He can't have one of those really terrible games. And Devin Cambridge is going to be asked to defend guys like Azula Subelis, and he's going to have to do a good job. If all these things can happen, and Arizona State goes 2-1 and one and wins a couple of games in the Pac-12 tournament, now we're talking. Right, but the, the, the task of winning in McHale is almost impossible. You know that. I mean, it's one of the best... It's not home- impossible, Gambo. Washington State did it this year already, okay? But okay. keep going. Okay, but come on. In, in all of college basketball, they had one of the best home court advantages ever. Like, you know, they do. They, they, have, they have incredible win streaks there, Arizona. They barely, they rarely ever lose at home. They have one of the best home court advantages in all of college basketball. 
Yeah, you're, you're correct. You also, um, do you know that I had a winning record at McHale? Just want to throw that out there. I know, I know this interview isn't all about me. I know, that's, Campo, I know. That's, that's the last time Stanford had, actually had a good basketball program. Correct. Was that, the, that is a true <laughs> statement. But yes, okay, I, then I let played me at go. McHale Center three times with two and one. Yeah, no, it's, but, you know, go look at it. I mean, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. They're incredible at home. They, they just had yeah. one of the longest winning streaks when they lost that game to Washington State. UCLA. UCLA's tough to play at home. UCLA's a good team. They're yeah. battling Arizona for the for the Pac-12 championship. These teams are going to play hard. USC. USC's on the bubble to get into the NCAA tournament. That's a team that's going to be fighting for their playoff lives. They're going to need that. They can't lose to ASU and get into the NCAA tournament. They're going to need to win that game. So, yeah, it's good that you've got these three games, but damn, I I mean, it's very possible they come out of that 0-3 because you're playing three really good basketball teams. Of course. And you, you know what? It just, I'll, I'll just add uh, to what you already said, which was good. Normally at this time of the year, you have some teams that might be resting on their laurels. Hey, we're, we're already got stuff wrapped up. We're, we, we don't have to play with urgency. Of course, you're going to go out as a college player and play hard in the game. But, you know, when, when teams have that edge, it's a little bit different, right? Um, you see that at the NBA level, too. When these NBA guys have something to play for, it's like, whoa, it's a different game. They're flying around at a faster pace. And Arizona State is not sneaking up on anybody. They're, they're, they're playing teams that still have a ton to play for. You mentioned Arizona and UCLA are battling for the Pac-12 championship, although UCLA has a two-game lead. But both of them are trying like crazy to get that number two seed in the West so that they can play in Las Vegas in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, a chance to go to the Final Four. So if they're not sneaking up on anybody, they're going to get everyone's best effort. Yeah, let me get your thoughts on just the, uh, what's going on right now at the Pac-12 with UCLA and USC leaving. And we've discussed whether Arizona would, you know, go to the Big 12 and, and, and you know, really help their, you know, bad basketball-wise, that would be tremendous. But the four corner schools in Arizona State, Arizona, uh, Colorado, Utah, maybe in the Big 12, Washington and Oregon, the Big 10. I mean, the Pac-12 obviously having a hard time coming up with a television deal that would make everybody happy. Where do you see the future of this conference? I'm worried about it. I mean, I don't have any of the answers. I don't have like an inside track on on what's going to happen. I don't think anybody does, but I'm definitely worried. Well, I was along with everybody. I was devastated, surprised that USC and UCLA were leaving. And I was kind of mad at first, just, and I'm mad more at that. Like we're, in this place in college sports where money drives everything and almost nothing else matters. I think that's a kind of a depressing place to be. However, when I do take a step back, Gambo and Steve, I, I understand it. Like for us, for us to ignore that money isn't important. Don't, those are the type of people who don't really understand how athletic departments work. You, you need money to, to, to do all these things. Um, and so when we're talking about the Big Ten making potentially like $20 million more per year, that's a staggering number per school, by the way. That's a staggering number to think about. And, and you have to at least think as an athletic director, as coaches, like there is a sacrifice being made that these, these USC and UCLA athletes are going to have to fly across this country just to play. You know, we're talking not just football and basketball, but, you know, uh, lacrosse and tennis and all that stuff. Yeah. All those athletes are going to be taking a ton of time out of their academic schedules to compete like that. That's going to be crazy. However, there are some benefits to this. So when I take a step back and look at it, I, I actually understand 
why USC and UCLA are making this move. I'm just sad that it that it came down to this. Um, as far as the four corner schools, I mean, Colorado came from the Big Twelve, so that wouldn't be a surprise if they returned there. Um, Arizona. I mean, they're obviously a basketball school, one of the best basketball schools in, the, in this uh, wonderful country that we live in. Um, of course, if you were the Big 12, would you not want to go after Arizona? That would be a, a, a massive addition. So I would be – I am very scared. If I was George Kliakoff, the, the uh, commissioner of the Pac-12, I'd be super scared that they're going to take away a program like Arizona and Arizona State and, and what they could add to the Big 12. Um, uh yeah. Again, guys, I'm worried. I'm a Pac-12 guy. I've been uh, born and raised in Los Angeles, California, and uh, I, I don't want to see this this conference dissolve. Or if if it stays together, to have it be like a, a mid-major conference, that would that would break my heart. And I don't even know what Stanford's going to do if all this goes down. No yeah. idea. Well, I did see Stanford play the best game, their best game of the year when they beat U of A a few weeks ago. So you, you've always got that. All right, Case, I, I appreciate the time. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more. We'll, we'll catch up with you when the Pac-12 tournament starts, get your ideas and thoughts on, on who's going to win that thing. But I appreciate you coming on for a few minutes, my friend. Of course, guys. It's an honor. Have a good week. All right. Thanks, Casey. That's Casey Jacobson from uh, FS1 and the Pac-12 Network, former Stanford standout and former Phoenix Suns player who uh, joined us on the program right there to talk a little college basketball. Michael Bidwell on what the Cardinals need to do. We'll talk about that next right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Burns and Gambo, what's on tonight? We got the Suns in action tonight. Suns and OKC. That is a home game for the Phoenix Suns, and you can catch that action uh, right here on Arizona Sports. That's right. We'll have that game for you. Television-wise, it is on ESPN. Now, tomorrow, you got ASU in Arizona. That is a 12 p.m. game on CBS. So you'll have that uh, as well. That will be on tomorrow. So ASU U of A tonight. You have got the uh, Suns and OKC. So that's the games you've got coming up. On First D-backs baseball game tomorrow, too. I'm trying to see. I don't think it's on television, though, is it? I was just looking uh, at the schedule. Looks like radio. You can hear it here, 98.7 at 110. Okay. So that'll be trailing our show on Saturday. And, uh, yeah, I don't know about TV. Okay. All right, so uh, I don't know about the television, but you can hear it on the radio. All right, Mitch just passed this along to me. Um, Tom Pelissero is saying that the Rams have had trade talks about Jalen Ramsey, and they believe that he's going to be dealt. So there, he's, he's 28 years old. He's due $17 million, very front-loaded deal. Uh, L.A. wants to clear some cap space. They, they went all in to win that Super Bowl. They won it, but they took it on a chin last year, and they've got some big contracts and maybe some guys that want to move on if they're going to re- be rebuilt. So keep your eye on that when the Jalen Ramsey gets traded. I would not expect that that's a guy that the Cardinals are going to look at with that type of salary. And again, you're not ready to add those players yet. If you're the Cardinals, you want to make sure that, you know, you're, you want to add those players when you're a player away, not when you're several players away. And why would the Rams send him within the division? Why would they trade him to the Cardinals? I mean, I always, I'm always a big believer in whoever gives you the best deal, take that. Like, I'm not a big, I don't buy this whole, you can't send him in the division, you can't trade him here, you can't trade him. Who's giving me the best deal? <laughs> I really want to take a lesser deal because I'm afraid to play him. 
Like, why, why would I do that? I, I don't understand that logic. I never have. This team won't trade with that team. This team, I'll send you to the AFC. I got to get you out of the NFC. I can't have you in the division and play you two. What the hell? Who's giving you the best deal? I think it becomes a factor if the deals on the table are comparable. Okay, sure. But, but, uh, but. But other teams, they don't care. They'll take lesser a lesser deal to not have to play that guy two times a year. And I just never understood the logic. You're really going to take a, a first-round pick that's 10 picks later because you don't want to trade him in a division? Trade him in a division. Who cares? Beat him. I mean, build a up, beat him. Take the pick that you're getting and beat him. All right, Michael Bidwell on the Dave Pash podcast this week talked about his conversation with Monty about the current uh, Cardinals roster. Number one, we spent a lot of time talking about Kyler and what type of offense we should be running and how to protect him and where we should be spending our money. We've got a lot of money tied up in a couple of different positions. And so I think you're going to see that change. We're going to, I think you're going to see us beefing up the offensive line, the defensive line. We've got to get help at corner. Um, we've got to get a, a, just more protection for Kyler. Sure. And then we've got to be able to rush the passers, especially in the, in the NFC West. So I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of changes, but they're not going to happen immediately, and they'll happen over the next several years as, as we get opportunities to to build on the, the draft class that's coming up. Yeah, and that's what the, that's what the philosophy is going to be. The Cardinals are going to change their philosophy. You know, uh, under Steve and Cliff, it was very much load up on skill position players, get as many at players as you can. You know, this, this organization traded for Hollywood Brown. They traded for Zach Ertz. They traded for DeAndre Hopkins. They drafted Keon. Dante Ingram. They signed James Conner. They uh, drafted Rondale Moore. They drafted McBride. Like, they were all in on getting skill position players to the point where they really did, in many ways, ignore high talented you know, players that they could have gotten, whether free agency or the draft, on the offensive and defensive lines. They would have drafted an offensive lineman if they didn't trade for Hollywood Brown. They would have drafted Linderbaum. He's a center. He's a very good you know, young center. So there was a lot of emphasis on skill position players. That is not going to be the Cardinals' way anymore. The emphasis is going to be on the offensive and defensive line, being able to run the ball, being physical. So that's where they're going to go. This is going to be a draft where they where they sign, uh, draft a lot of players that can play offense, defensive lines. Physicality is going to be important to them. And I think they'll shy away to some extent from the skill position players for a little while. Michael Bidwell mentioned specifically in that soundbite, we're spending a lot of money at the wrong positions and we're going to kind of dilute yeah, that and not try to do get that. to other positions. No more linebacker money. But when, well, linebackers, one of them, they certainly spend a lot more in that category than they do, say, cornerback that he mentioned. Wide receiver, $60 million currently uh, wrapped up in 2023 salary cap to wide receivers, including $12 million to Robbie Anderson, who just changed his name, so chosen Anderson. Uh, you've got... Only twenty three million in tackles. A lot of that is DJ Humphreys. They only spend one point six million on guards right now. These are the areas where they're going to be emphasizing going forward, as opposed to what they're currently doing. You've got sixteen million on the edge, but let's be honest, they could spend a lot more there. 
too much at the linebacker position, 21.7. And safety, $23 million. I love Buda Baker, but if I had to pick between an elite-level safety and an elite-level corner... You'll take the corner every I'm day of the week. taking the corner every day, twice yeah. on Sunday, no, and that's the only day that matters. There's no question, because a lot of times, you grab if you get a great corner, he could always transition over to safety when he gets older. That happens a lot in this league. Darrell so. Rivas did that, I think. Yeah, I mean... Or tried to. I don't think he... I don't think he played safe. They talked about it a lot, though. Remember he when he play got a step slower? And that's what happens. And that's why, like, you know, talk, people talk about Bradbury or Byron Murphy. I'd rather have Byron Murphy. He's five years younger. Because once these guys, these cornerbacks hit 30, 31, if they get a step slower, it's, it becomes a little bit of a struggle. You know, there's a lot of really quick wide receivers out there. And if you play a lot of man and not a lot of zone, you got to run with those guys. That's, that speed does matter. But the emphasis will be on the offensive line, the defensive line, and on the draft. I expect in the draft that it's not going to be best player available. I mean, Steve was very much a whoever the best player available is. We don't deviate from our board. We're going to take that guy. Now it's going to be more about, hey, what's the position in need? We'll take the best player available at a position we need. We need a corner. We need defensive line. We need an offensive line. Who's the best player at that position? They'll take that guy. So I think I think the Cardinals' philosophy will change to where they draft more for need than they do best available player. And a lot of teams go best available player, and sometimes huge mistakes are made when you go need and you pass up on a great player. But the Cardinals right now need to fill a lot of needs. So I expect this draft and probably even the next one is going to be very heavily focused on players that of positions of need for them. Cornerback, $2.9 million committed on the cap next year. That's 1% of their team is dollars spent on cornerbacks. Uh, pass rushers on and the edge. Things failed for them, like Malcolm Butler failed, and uh, obviously Jeff Gladney, they, they traded for him, and then you know he unfortunately passed away. Uh, Robert Alford decided not to come back. Robert Alford was a good player. He had injuries for two out of the three years he was here. He couldn't get on the field. So there's some things Antonio really- Hamilton? That situation at the beginning of the season? Sure. Yeah, we burnt himself. I was able to, like, I had that report that he burnt himself in the kitchen at all these burns. And, you know, so then he wasn't able to play right away. So that's really put them in a rock, uh, in a bad spot. And then just, they didn't really, dra- I mean, they drafted some corners, but, you know, Marco, Marco Wilson, Wilson had it. to play right away. And it wasn't like he was a first round pick. So they do have to put more emphasis on that position as well. Guards, 1.6 million. I know. Well, less than 1% of your money is spent on guards. Well, right, right now, just, I mean, Justin Pugh's not counting on that. No, he's not. They'll, they'll... All right, Steve, appreciate you filling in. Thanks for Rich, having me, Gambo. Eric, great job. Hope everybody has a great weekend. That'll do it for us today. We'll be back Monday, 2 o'clock sharp, right here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Have a great night, everyone.